You're listening to What's New with Wired. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to the Spoken Edition of Wired. Fighting a wildfire in Texas. Building a network to connect 40 million people to the Internet. Cutting pollution with chainsaws. Hear Chubb customers tell their stories at chubb.com slash podcast. And stay tuned after the show to hear how a sinkhole swallowed eight priceless sports cars. Steven Soderbergh on virtual reality, iPhone filmmaking, and Harvey Weinstein by Angela Watercutter. Steven Soderbergh is nothing if not ever evolving, except maybe for Tireless. After establishing himself as one of his generation's great auteurs with movies like Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Out of Sight, and Traffic, he vowed to stop making theatrical films. During the supposed hiatus, he made HBO's Liberace biopic, Behind the Candelabra, and two seasons of prestige drama The Nick for Cinemax. Then this summer, retirement quote-unquote over, he returned to the multiplex with the heist flick Logan Lucky. That wasn't all, though. He's also spent the last few years working on Mosaic, an app-based miniseries mystery that viewers navigate their way through chapter by chapter. At the end of each node, they can choose which character to follow or which new scene to watch. For most other directors, it would be a dramatic career turn. But for someone as prolific as Soderbergh, it's just one of a handful of projects he seems to be constantly working his way through with a savant-like ease. Soderbergh sat down with Wired in his Tribeca office, which looks delightfully like where a 1930s gumshoe would set up shop, to share the backstory on his latest project, as well as his thoughts on virtual reality, the future of filmmaking, and the sexual harassment allegations against the man who helped make Sex, Lies, and Videotape a hit, Harvey Weinstein. Steven Soderbergh on making an app that tells a story. I was initially reticent. As a filmmaker-storyteller, anything that feels gamey is a little scary because games and being told a story work at cross-purposes. In the game, the viewer has agency, and as a result, there's a certain kind of engagement that happens that isn't the kind of emotional engagement you get from experiencing a story. So my concern was, will I still have the kind of control as a filmmaker that I need to have? But what I saw was something that was not a film and not a game. It was rubbing up against both these things, but was different enough from each to be exciting. The technical innovations that have taken place in gaming over the last decade and a half are stunning, so this seemed like an opportunity to take advantage of a form that's been around a long time, branching narrative, and have the technology be an organic part of the story, as opposed to someone coming along and saying, Oh, I got this piece of new tech. Let's jam a story onto it. On virtual reality, there are several things working against it. When you can't see your protagonist, it's virtually impossible to hook into the story. 
This is how we engage, looking into the eyes of the protagonist. There's no such thing as montage. It's comfortable to have that thing on your head for more than a certain period of time. Part of the joy of anything is watching it with someone else and at a certain point looking at them and going, holy shit, that's gone. To me, there are all these things working against it as a long-form narrative format. I think it's going to work best as a combination of immersion and gaming and stuff like that, but I don't, I wish I could short it. I wish I could make a lot of money, but I don't think I can. On the value of short TV seasons, it's a chicken or the egg thing. Does a short series feel more satisfying because they're designing them that way, or is it truly more satisfying? I don't know. It depends on the format. Sitcoms tend to lend themselves to years and years and years for whatever reason. Hour-long dramas, they're hard. To keep them fresh, you need to keep introducing new people and killing people off. you got to have a universe that's large enough to allow for expansion and contraction. On what happened to the Nick? One of the ways we were going to keep the Nick going was that it was conceived from the beginning as six years. The idea was that every two years you would leap forward in time. Brand new cast, new characters. The institution was the only common element. That's because we were very concerned about this issue of just running out of things for people to do. We knew we were going to kill Dr. John Thackeray. From the get-to, I told Clive Owen, Two years. I need you for two years. We're going to kill you. So seasons three and four were going to jump forward 50 years, and then seasons five and six were going to take place in the near future. That was always the master plan. It went away not because of anyone's desire to step on its throat. Season three got written, but when Cinemax decided, we want to go back to Cinemax's pure genre roots, season three and four of The Nick, which were going to be in black and white, didn't really seem like a good fit there. On shooting his upcoming movie, Unsane, on an iPhone. I've been shooting stuff on my phone with intention and purpose for a couple of years. I started seriously thinking at the end of the year last year that I gotta find something that really works for that. And just by chance, a writer friend of mine called me up out of the blue looking for work. I said, I don't have anything for you, but if you can write me a super low-budget thriller horror type thing, I'll shoot it June 1st. This was mid-January. Three weeks later, a script shows up, and I love it. I said, let's go. It was so liberating. I'm going to do it again. The ability to put the lens anywhere I wanted in a matter of seconds, if not minutes, was incredibly freeing. You want to put a camera above somebody's head, you've got to lash a rope to it and tie it to something so it doesn't kill them. This, you just stick it on a piece of Velcro and shoot. If I literally want to lay it on the floor, I can. It's a 4K capture. I've seen it on giant screen. Nobody, if they didn't already know, would ever suspect. It looks like a normal movie. On his next project with the men behind Moonlight. The next thing I'm going to do is, at the end of February, I'm doing a small film that I've been developing with Andre Holland, who was in The Nick, and is being written by Terrell Alvin McCraney, who wrote the play that Moonlight was based on. He and I started talking during the first season of The Nick about a project, and the script just came in, and it's great. It'll be shot here in New York. On producing the all-female Ocean's 8, we're finishing Ocean's 8 now. 
I'm keying off director Gary Ross. He's a friend of mine, so when I need to be forward, I'm forward. And when I feel like I need to disappear, I disappear. But the movie's really good. To see that cast all together in a frame, it's kind of amazing, because they're so different. It's really fun. It's a great group. On his Panama Papers movie, that script just came in, and it's insane. Scott Z. Burns, who's written three scripts for me, wrote it. He pitched a very unusual approach to telling that story, and he really delivered. I'm trying now to see if I can do that next fall. On the sexual harassment and assault allegations against Harvey Weinstein, obviously a lot of people approached me to talk about it, but my attitude right now is that the voices that matter the most are the victims, and I prefer that we not muddy the water yet. Let the people talk who are the targets. I see a lot of people weighing in, and I don't really care to see them weigh in. I don't know how anybody now thinks they can get away with this kind of behavior. Now that people who are the targets of this kind of behavior feel they can speak, I think it's game over for that shit. And I'm sorry it took so long. I was just lucky that I wasn't raised in an environment where this kind of behavior was indulged in or viewed as acceptable. The people who mentored me didn't behave like this. When people are like, how can this have been going on? You have to understand, everybody creates the version of the entertainment industry that they want to be a part of. I tried, and have always tried, to avoid people who were known to be toxic. In this instance, I do think there weren't as many people as you think who had a real understanding of the breadth and the depth of what was going on. I didn't. You can find yourself in that territory, especially if you're someone like me who has absolutely no interest in the social aspects of the entertainment industry. I don't go out. All I do is work on stuff. It's been really interesting to see all of that energy that's been built up over all these years reassembled, channeled, and focused on a person, and to see how powerful it is. The energy that's generated from those kinds of encounters, in my mind, doesn't just, like, disappear— it's out there. It's in the people it happened to. And to watch it reassemble and fire on one person has been kind of incredible. Buried within most tragedies are opportunities for transcendence. I'm hoping this is one of those situations. I think everybody feels upset that it took this long and it took this much. Nobody feels good about any of it, but I think it's going to be different. This podcast was made possible by Chubb. Hear how a sinkhole opened up under the National Corvette Museum, right now. Betty called me at six in the morning. She thought it was a fire. It was worse. A sinkhole opened up under our museum. Eight priceless Corvettes had plunged into it. Chubb was there within hours. They helped make sure it was safe. We had everyone we needed to get our museum back up and running. And we opened the next day. Hear more stories at chubb.com slash podcast. Hope you enjoyed this spoken edition of Wired News. And if you'd like more, search for Wired Science and Wired Business. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.